Time for Talk of the Town with Lisa Kay. Focus on ag today. That's our topic here on Talk of the Town. I'm Lisa Kay. Kent TC, my guest. Kent is the farm management analyst and senior vice president from MinStar Bank, and we always enjoy having Kent on. How have you been since the last time I talked to you? Well, pretty good. We kind of went from fall to winter, and uh, looks like we're going to have a nice long winter here with it looks like we got some pretty good snow cover and at least what you read i i haven't really checked what farmers almanac says but some of the long long range forecasts the 90-day forecasts say we're probably going to trend colder than normal so which hasn't happened for a few years yeah so we'll be interested to see with the cold and, and again how much snowfall uh comes and how much we need based on things that happened previously with rain or lack thereof in certain areas yeah well we certainly need the moisture but you know unfortunately uh snowfall it while it, it it is good to protect the soil and get some cover uh, uh usually if the ground is froze uh, when the, by the time the snow melts uh, we don't get a lot soaking into the soils mm. but certainly any just changing our patterns to get a little more moisture is a positive as we head into 2023. Well, as we're heading towards the new year, why don't we talk about the uh, grain market prices? Let's start there. Well, the grain markets continue to be um, really good news, I guess, for farmers out there that uh, finished harvest. And uh, a lot of farmers have some grain uh, in their bins. Uh, some of it is they've already uh, locked the price in and all probably be delivering it uh, either the end of this year or early next year but uh, a lot of farmers have corn and soybeans that they haven't set a price on yet and the good news is uh, at least on the near term the cash prices for both corn and soybeans uh, have continued very strong Um, as of the uh, uh, Friday I guess uh, we were looking locally uh, uh, at probably 650 a bushel or better i know the ethanol plant at lake crystal was at 660 a bushel a market that i follow quite a bit and and, uh, that's about uh you compare to a year ago uh not not quite a a year ago we were at about 584 but if we go back to uh, 2020 two years ago uh, we were only at 393, so that kind of tells you a little bit uh, where we're at. And the same is true with soybeans. If we, uh, again, look at uh, the price at the uh, processing plants in Mankato, we're at about 1478 today. A year ago at this time, we were... Uh, uh, only at about uh, we were about a dollar under that, and two years ago at this time we were actually at uh, we were at thirteen thirty three a year ago, so we're about a dollar and a half higher. And two years ago we were at twelve seventy two. And one of the big differences, I, and I know we've talked about this before in this program, is what we call basis. Mm-hmm. And the basis is basically the difference between what. Farmers are offered locally, whether it be at grain elevators, uh, ethanol plants, uh, soybean processing plants, feed mills, compared to the Chicago Board of Trade price. And uh, when that number is positive, historically, prices in southern Minnesota this time of year would be below the Chicago Board of Trade price. And what basis really reflects is the local demand for corn or soybeans. And part of it is transportation costs and all that. And what uh, what we're seeing is uh, today, um, 
we have a positive basis of about 14 cents for corn and 40 cents for soybeans. That means our local prices are higher than the Chicago Board of Trade prices. Mm. And, uh, you know, if uh, you look at a year ago, we were at about uh, zero basis on corn and, and five cent positive on soybeans. But if you go back two years ago, 2020, we were eight cents under the Chicago Board of Trade price for corn and 40 cents under for soybeans, which is probably more typical what you'd see this time of year. So it just kind of points that we, two things, we have very strong local demand. There's also points to the fact that not only locally, but certainly on a national basis, there's fairly tight supplies of corn and soybeans and tends to keep those markets strong. Now, if we look ahead to 2023, next year's crop, uh, the forward prices uh, right now for corn uh, we're looking at uh, 556 a bushel and 12, uh, 12.72 a bushel uh, for corn. So uh, certainly uh, prices that are much lower than we have today, and the basis levels for next fall uh, for corn are 42 cents under the Chicago price and 45 cents under for soybeans. So a lot, a big difference and. What that really does, that basis level, it kind of encourages farmers to be more aggressive in selling last year's crop to take advantage of that because even if the Chicago Board of Trade price goes up between now and next summer, if the basis widens out, uh, they may not see that gain on the local prices. So certainly some incentives here at the end of this year, early next year, January, February, to uh, sell some grain and take advantage of these favorable prices. Kent, is it all supply and demand, or when we, is, do you notice anything that's cyclical? Well, I think it's mainly supply and demand. Um, you know, obviously, on the big picture, we've had very good demand for products. Our export levels have been fairly high the last couple of years, so there is some in, indications, especially on the corn side, that may be softening. Uh, certainly, uh, the use of corn and soybeans for renewable energy has been strong, and the uh, feed usage has been strong for corn. So it's uh, we've just had strong demand, and even though uh, right in our local area we've had some pretty good crop yields the last couple of years, nationwide uh, the crop yields have been a little disappointing, and that keeps the supply tight, and also... Again, we're in a global grain situation, and especially South America. Um, last year, the last couple of years, has had a crop that was below normal. Now, of course, South America's just in their growing season right now, so uh, a big mover on the markets will probably be what happens with the South American crop. And, of course, their July and August uh, come in January and February, so we'll be... Certainly, once we get past the first of the year, the south, what, you know, every day, if you listen to the farm reports, you're going to hear, hear them talking about what's happening with weather conditions in Brazil and Argentina. Mm. That's because uh, uh, that has a big impact on markets, especially the soybean markets, because but if you take uh, South America and the United States, they account for probably well over 90% of the soybean production in the world. So uh, it's a big impact. Wow. Uh, well, I know also impacting farmers here are the higher input costs. We've talked a lot about how much things are going up, whether it's, you know, equipment or especially fertilizer. 
Yeah, it really is. Uh, we've really seen some big increases in input costs. Uh, um, if you look at the, you know, and I, I kind of went back here recently and looked back in the last 10 years. And uh, if you go back, uh, like uh, for 2022, we don't have the final figures yet from farm business management, but most likely a lot of farmers are going to spend probably in that 240 250 uh, dollar an acre range for corn fertilizer. By comparison, uh, that number was only $142 an acre in 2021, so about $100 an acre higher. Mm. And if you go back to from a period from 2017 to 2020, it was between 150 and $130 an acre, so way higher. And the projections are that's going to even be higher next year. Most estimates we've seen from uh, fertilizer dealers and crop consultants puts that number near $300 an acre on the average if you aren't using any supplemental manure. On top of that, we've seen chemical costs go up uh, to control uh, weeds, insects, and diseases by anywhere from 25 to $40 an acre. Uh, we obviously fuel costs have went up, uh, labor costs, repair costs, all of those input costs. So what we're seeing is uh, uh, the projections for next year that the input costs are probably going to be uh, anywhere from 250 to 300 dollars an acre higher than they were two or three years ago. So uh, that adds a lot to the you know, even with the grain prices we have, and as I pointed out earlier, the grain price projections for next fall certainly are not as robust as the current prices. And if if uh, one way we like to look at these costs, and, and I should mention overhead costs uh, for costs of machinery and uh, interest costs have also gone up. And if we look at total costs and we put it in kind of a bushel of corn perspective, if we look at, uh, like for 2021, the last year we had actual records, it took 86 bushels of corn to cover your direct costs, and it took 149 bushels an acre to cover all costs. Hmm. And that's before any return to the farmer for labor and management. Now, if we look ahead to next year, at 200 bushel an acre corn, it would take at, at $6 a bushel, which again is uh, above where the projections are for next fall, it would take 184 bushels. And if that price drops to $5 a bushel at 200 bushel an acre corn, or at, uh, you're talking 221 bushels an acre if the price is only $5. So it does show that things have really tightened up and that compares to 149 bushels an acre as recently as 2021. So, and we saw this happen back in a period from about 2014 to 2019, it took 200 to 225 bushels an acre to cover costs. And if you look back in those same years, uh, farmers showed losses of uh, typically around 40 or 50 bucks an acre on raising corn. Just, so again, we're I'm not saying we're heading into that direction, but certainly if we don't, if Going into the dry year, there's some concern with yield, but also some concern on the price side that we need to keep our yields up there and keep our prices strong to cover the what we anticipate the input costs are going to be for 2023.
Our focus on ag with Kent TC, he's a farm management analyst and senior vice president from MinStar Bank. Talking about the costs of everything going up and up, Kent, we know that, and we've had this conversation on this program before, uh, some of the impact of higher land rental rates that the farmers are experiencing. Yeah, land rental rates, uh, you know, uh, they tend to follow uh, what's happening out there with profitability, and certainly farmers have had strong profit years, and uh, so really, you go back to 2020 with a lot of government payments with COVID, and then 21 and 22, especially in our immediate area here, some pretty good yields along with the strong prices. And cash rental rates tend to follow that right up. And so we've seen some uh, pretty uh, large increases here in cash rental rates, and likely we'll see higher rates again for 23. And it is. Uh, obviously, rental rates are driven by two things. One is uh, landowners, landlords uh, that are renting their land out uh, want to, uh, you know, capture a little more profit on their land. Uh, the land values are going up, so their property taxes are going up along with that. And and so they tend to uh, increase as uh, profitability goes up. And then the other thing is just demand by farmers. Uh, a lot more farmers willing to pay higher rents and willing if there's uh, open situations to bid on land and that tends to bring that average up across the board so uh, one thing you know I guess we always throw the caution flag out there especially to farm operators is uh, be cautious uh, remember uh, a lot of these rates are based on what happened last year or the year before not looking ahead to 2023 they were based on 2021 and 22 results and uh, so to use some caution, and the other thing, uh, we encourage landlords to be reasonable, and one of the programs we've kind of pushed a lot, and a lot of universities have, is what's called a flexible lease, where you set kind of a reasonable base rental rate based on average input costs, and projected prices and yields, and then you have that flexibility that the final rental rate could be increased if we get like we've had in 2022, uh, exceptionally high price levels uh, or, in some cases, exceptional yields, that then the landlord, uh, the farm operator, probably has the ability to pay a higher rental rate. And so both the farm operator and landlord benefit in that. And uh, rather than having the rental rates too high where the farm operator all of a sudden gets uh, in some financial difficulty. We do have some good information available on flexible leases. If anyone's interested, uh, they can just shoot me an email at kent.tc at minstarbank.com, and I'd be glad to share that information with them. Kent, we've got about five minutes left here on Talk of the Town today, so let's talk a little bit about the, is this the Environmental Protection Agency, the Renewable Fuel Standards? Yeah, the um, just last week, uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, came out with their Renewable Fuel Standards, and again, uh, some of this gets very complex, but it is important to both uh, ethanol plants, which are big, um, you know, very important in southern Minnesota, both uh, community-wise, business-wise, as well as the farmers, and the farmers, because that helps drive uh, some of that strength in prices we talked about. And um, <clears throat> when you look at it, one of the categories they have is conventional renewable fuel, which for about 90 plus percent of that category is ethanol production. 
and they have uh, increased that amount in the last couple of years, and they keep it steady going forward. With at uh, like last year, uh, there were 14.5 uh, billion gallons of ethanol produced uh, in the U.S., and basically they keep that steady with some slight increases. So that's good news for the ethanol industry, and especially. There's some push going on in Congress right now to go to year-round E15, which would, again, strengthen demand for ethanol. <clears throat> I think the disappointing part, probably to processors and the farmers, was in the advanced biofuel category. And, uh, again, they kept things steady there, but I think there was a lot of hope based on the climate change legislation that happened last summer and multiple new uh, renewable uh, biodiesel plants being built across the Midwest and really across the country. And the primary seed stock for those renewable biofuel uh, facilities is soybeans. And there was mm. some hope, I think, that maybe EPA would ramp up uh, those numbers a little more than they did. And so I think some disappointment on that aspect. And, you know, some concern I saw raised by some industry groups that they were using kind of some old data on the production capacity that they weren't fact totally factoring in the new capacity. So there's still possibilities EPA could come back and adjust that. But certainly uh, um, I think there's a lot of hope there that that's one of the kind of shining stars in there, I think, in some of the push with uh, – climate change and carbon legislation is that push for using that renewable uh, diesel because obviously we still uh, have a lot of in in across the u.s whether it's the trucking industry farming other industries where we use a lot of diesel and so uh, there's still a lot of need to uh, hopefully make that more climate friendly carbon friendly and renewable diesel is certainly one of those uh, alternatives Sure. I know that you have listed on here, we want to talk a little bit about the farmer's share of the U.S. food next year in 2023. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, uh, the farmer's share of the food dollar, which is always interesting. We, When we come off Thanksgiving, like we did a couple weeks ago, we always hear, well, what does the average Thanksgiving meal cost? And of course, this year, I think it was up to about $60 a person. Uh, uh, or sixty dollars uh, total. It, it was a twenty anyway, a twenty percent increase. But mm -hmm. overall, food costs this year I think have went up about eleven percent. Projected to go up another four or five percent next year. Well, it's kind of interesting. The farmer share of that food dollar, which they do annually, actually dropped. Uh, it's been it, it dropped in the last year. It's down to fourteen point five cents out of every dollar. Fourteen point five percent. And, uh, you know, the highest it's been in, in the last decade, uh, back in 2011 to 14, it was up to 175 to 18%, and it's been kind of on a decline ever since. So sometimes I think we hear the, the farm prices, and then we hear food costs going up. It's awful easy. I, I think even the national media sometimes kind of says, well, farm price, or food costs are going up because farm prices have gone up. Well, <laughs> that's... Uh, 14.5% of the reason. The rest of it is costs of transporting the products, uh, 
the wholesalers, the retailers across the board. So there's a lot of factors that go into that. Good to remember as we head towards another big meal. And uh, as we do that, hey, happy holidays to you and your family. And thank you so much for, for all you do for us all year long. We certainly appreciate it, all the information that we get every month that we talk to you, Kent. Well, I want to wish everyone, all the listeners out there happy holidays and safe travel. And uh, uh, hopefully next year will be another great year. We will talk to you again soon, my friend. Thank you so much, Kent TC. If people want to get in touch with you, where do they need to go? Uh, again, uh, kent.tc at minstarbank.com, or you can just go to the Minstar Bank website, and my, my information is listed there. Get on the mailing list for the Focus on Egg newsletters that come out. Kent, have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great.